Hope you're all doing well. We've uh, made it into December and we're on the Advent countdown to Christmas. So kids, are you ready for a boogie this morning? So we're going to start with My Lighthouse. We've got some actions, uh, but before we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, Lord, that we've, uh, we've all made it safely to this point, Lord. And as we start to go through Advent, Lord, we uh, remember... Uh, the birth of uh, baby Jesus uh, who you sent to the world. Lord, this morning we just want to give you all the praise and the glory as we worship you as we hear your word. So Lord, pour your spirit on us this morning. Lord, we, we really love you, Lord, and we want to worship you. Amen. So, are we ready to party?
I've just got to get my breath back. Did we all enjoy that jumping around and the dancing? God, you are so good, Lord. We worship you.
your greatness so will I for if I everything exists to lift you high so But he bought me, you know, his love. 
Psalm 47 says, Hallelujah, how good it is to sing to our God. The praise is pleasant and lovely. Just I want to encourage you right now. Um, do you know one thing I've missed, and you don't realize what you've got until it's gone, but just not just consuming worship, but participating in worship and actually just singing. The Bible is filled, the Psalms especially are filled with this declaration of singing to the Lord. I want to encourage us right now, just while Alan leads us in that bridge that I am chosen, not forsaken. Why don't you just stand as families, individually in your household, why don't we just give a, a sacrifice of praise, an offering of singing this morning? You know, being online is nobody's preference. You may look at those of us that are leading the service and think, oh, we, we find it easy. You know, each, each of us on a Sunday morning take a deep breath. We're like, come on, we can get through this. We can do another Zoom call. Uh, it's nobody's preference, but it is what's possible. And so as the church, we offer what's possible. However small and, uh, and insignificant it seems, we offer it as worship to God. And so right now, why don't we just sing together, declaring worship to our God as we stand and sing that's what the Bible calls his people to do. Stand and sing. So let's do that right now as a church, knowing that others in our church family are all singing together, speaking out and singing out the truth of who God is. So Alan, will you just lead us in that chorus and, and bridge once again, just as we stand and sing together?
thanks so much, Alan, just for the way that you've led us this morning in, in those songs. And one of the things that we were praying for, actually, before the service, that there would just be some real synergy uh, in what God wanted to do this morning, whether it was through uh, those of us who were, who were leading or, and, and, and certainly for those of you who are engaging in this this morning. And, you know, just before John read uh, Psalm 147, I, I was going to read exactly the same verses to you. And uh, I just want to I want to read them again, because I think this is it, it, it's beautiful words. But it goes on. Hallelujah. How good it is to sing our uh, sing to our God for praise is pleasant and lovely. The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. He gathers Israel's exiled people. He heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. He counts the number of the stars and he gives them gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord helps the oppressed, but brings the wicked to the ground. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but, you know, there's something of the, this psalm that just calls us to sing and to praise and to worship in the midst of circumstances, knowing that God is at work, working out his purposes. He reigns sovereignly over all things. The Lord is vast in power. And uh, that's the one who we have just been singing to. And as Alan led us in that last song, um, that the, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Like we are free in Jesus. And that's incredible truth this morning. So um, I hope you just feel in a, in, encouraged, real encouraged in the Lord this morning. And we're going to move on. Just got a few things to let you know about before John comes and shares um, from uh, Philippines with, uh, this morning as we continue our series. Um, so we have our Zoom prayer meeting, which is taking place tomorrow at 7 uh, p.m. So the links are going to be sent through Connect Groups and also uh, via email if you need it that way so you can contact admin at OCC, uh, occ-stratford.org.uk um, info is there on the screen uh, which saves me reading it out and uh, you can you can email for that zoom link for tomorrow evening if you'd like to join us uh, and then next week is our guest carol service which is going to be amazing we've got some um, incredible guests lined up um, as as part of a, a wider network, we've got we've been given some access to some great speakers, people who are passionate about Jesus and can connect with audiences of great of great variety. So you may have heard of Jay John. He's one of the he if not the top evangelist in the UK uh, and has been for many many years. Um, he's he's going to be speaking at a carol service next week. So please, I'd encourage you to share the invitation with people who you wouldn't necessarily order, uh, normally invite people to a Sunday morning, maybe. Uh, but this is a real opportunity for you uh, and me to invite those people in our lives who may connect with a carol service in the lead up to Christmas. So this is, that's going to be a great, great service. And then on the 20th of December, we have our family nativity service, which um, I know lots of work is going into and is usually great, great fun. And uh, I'm no doubt this year will be the same, albeit slightly different in that we're going to be uh, online. It's just going to be a great morning. So please look out for those two dates coming up. Uh, and then we've also run a Christmas appeal for various things, uh, international missions and also home mission, uh, which we heard about last week. If you were on the Zoom call with uh, with um, Sally Ann and just some of the great opportunities we've got for hampers to, to, to give hampers to some of the kids that are involved uh, at the uh, at the, the Shottery building through that, that the, the school project that's running there but also with international missions and the COVID appeal that is ongoing, helping people overseas who are, who are being 
severely hit and impacted by uh, COVID restrictions. And so there, there's some opportunities for you to give. I think the, the link will be appearing in the chat at some point soon if you would like to give um, to, to those, those things. But that's it, I think, from me, unless I've missed something, which no doubt John will uh, rectify in a moment. But uh, John, it's over to you. Thanks so much, Ian. Uh, you'd have thought I'd have got used to doing this by now and unmute yourself and everything, but we're still learning, aren't we? Uh, just had a message through uh, the prayer requests. Um, those that were with us online last week, um, part of the Christmas appeal, we're going to be supporting uh, a guy called Tony, who's discipling someone called Lee in uh, a prison in the UK. Uh, and we've just had a message through um, saying uh, he has uh, had a really good week. Tony's had a great week of being able to bring light to the prison officers through a funny poem that he's read. But he's also been really touched that we're praying for him uh, and Lorraine and Andy, who have done prison ministry serving uh, into his life for many, many years, spoke to this morning and Tony's just saying thank you so much uh, that we're joining with him uh, and praying for him uh, and the just generosity of God's spirit into his life so I just want to thank you church for all you're doing for the Christmas appeal uh, we're going to try and help as many people as we can uh, that are struggling during this season in our own locality um, and also uh, with the work we're doing in Shottery and globally through Elam missions so what great privilege we've got. Uh, but this morning, we're going to continue our study into the uh, book of Philippians, the letter, should I say, of Philippians. Um, uh, and so if you've got a Bible, uh, go, go there, Philippians 1. Um, and if you've missed any, I'd encourage you, uh, go back onto our website. All of our services are on there, the videos, uh, the audios you can listen or watch uh, whenever you want. Because I really think this letter from Paul is significant uh, to our church family during this season. It, it's, it's Paul's letter of joy. Um, which is amazing when we know that he is writing it whilst in a Roman prison, confined, locked up, going through uncertainty. I don't know if any of those words seem familiar to you during this past season, um, but I, I'm, I'm just I'm learning so much from Paul and his journey uh, through what I'm going through and where I'm at about how we live for Jesus during this season. So uh, we're in chapter one. We're going to conclude chapter one this week and then pick up chapter two into the new year. Um, and so we're just going to read three or four verses this morning, uh, verses 27 to 30, uh, where one one commentator says of this bit of Paul's letter, if you can understand this part, you'll understand the whole letter. So whether you're tuning in for the first time this morning, whether you follow Jesus or not, this is a great opportunity for this morning to figure out all that this letter is about uh, that we're diving into and why we're diving into it this morning. So if you want a title for this morning, it is Keeping the Main Thing, the Main Thing. Keeping the Main Thing, the Main Thing. So uh, let me just read, uh, starting in verse 27, Philippians chapter one. It says this, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you and you are uh, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God, for it's been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're engaged in the same struggle that I and that you saw I had and now hear that I have. So we're going to unpack those verses this morning in uh, in the keeping the main thing, the main thing. Let me just pray uh, right now. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your presence that no matter what seasons of life we go through, 
right now, one that none of us could have foreseen, none of us really understand, but you are in it with us and you are with us through it. And so by your word right now, will you just speak deep into our hearts, open our hearts right now uh, to, to, to be engaged with you as we, as we learn from your word right now for your glory. Amen. Amen. Um, there's a, an author called Stephen Covey who once said that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, which I don't know about you, but for me, that's easier said than done. <laughs> and it's, it's actually not that easy to say. Um, but I, I struggle keeping the main thing the main thing. I was looking through my to-do list um, uh, last week and I've got something on that to-do list that I put on there two years ago. Two years ago, and it still is not done. The impromptu must-dos have overtaken the to-dos, the, the, the urgent swamps, the important, and, and those things just get knocked and knocked further and down the list, and they seemingly not getting done. See, in the midst of everything that we've got going on, it can be really hard to, first of all, know what the main thing is, and secondly, to keep the main thing the main thing. Am I meant to be doing those things first or those things that are urgent that come and swap? What am I meant to be doing? I don't know. And I just go, you can end up going round and round in circles. Uh, but Paul here is urging the church in Philippi to not be swamped by the seemingly urgent stuff that's coming upon them, to keep the main thing the main thing and keep their eyes fixed on that main thing because then everything else will start to make sense. And so Paul is urging the church in Philippi to keep the main thing the main thing. So for Paul, what is the main thing? Well, for Paul, the main thing is the gospel. This closing paragraph of chapter one, he says, uh, Paul writes, just one thing. He sounds a little bit like Columba, doesn't he? Just one more thing. But other translations say, above all else. The word literally means just alone or this only. And Paul is saying this only, this main thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul isn't saying here that some people's lives are worth more than others and some are worthy of the gospel and others aren't, as if some have an inherent more value than others. We don't believe that. We know that everybody's made in the image of God, that everyone has that inherent value and worth to God. That's not the worth that Paul's speaking of here. And he's not also saying that we need to strive as hard as we can to prove that we're worth the gospel, that Jesus doing what he's done, we somehow earn that and deserve that. That's not what Paul is saying. The worth that Paul is speaking of is the worth of the gospel, not ours. He's saying because of the high value of the gospel of Jesus, live like it means something. Live in light of its high value. Paul is calling the followers of Jesus in Philippi to a standard of living that's above the norm. That people would look at and say there's something different about how you act, how you behave, how you conduct yourself. You're different to what I see in other people. Why? Because of the gospel. Because the gospel is the main thing. And if we live with the gospel as the main thing, it should impact all of what we do and how we do it, how we live, how we work, our relationships, our passions, our purposes. They will all find their place and make sense because of the gospel. So what is the gospel? Paul has mentioned this word seven times in this opening uh, chapter alone. It is the main thing for Paul. So what is the gospel? Maybe you're unsure. Maybe if you, I really pressed you to say it's something about God, his story, maybe even uh, mentioning Jesus. Maybe a verse like John 3.16 would come to mind that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Probably the most famous verse in all of scripture. Maybe the gospel for you is that you're saved and that Jesus has died for you and secured a place in heaven for you. 
And that's absolutely true. That's the gospel that I was told growing up. And it's 100 percent true. But for Paul, there is some core ingredients. It's like if you're making a loaf of bread, there are certain things that you need to make that bread work. You can you can put in other things and it, it's totally true and it, it makes it work. But there's some core ingredients to the to the gospel that Paul is saying to the to the church. See, the the word gospel to these people that are hearing this letter for the first time, it's not a church word. To us, we only ever heard the word gospel in, in Christian circles, don't we? I don't think you've probably ever heard that word outside of church. But for those hearing this letter, it would have been a word that they knew. You see, the word gospel was used to announce the rule and reign of a new leader. So when Caesar took the throne, the announcement of him taking that throne and being the new leader of the nation and the rule and reign, his intentions are probably to, to declare, I'm going to bring peace and salvation to all our people. That was the gospel. It was the gospel of Caesar. That's what was announced. That's the word that was used. The people that were encountering this letter knew that the word gospel was the good news of a new ruler and that their kingdom would be what everybody needed. Because for them, Caesar was Lord. But of course, Paul says that gospel never measures up. For Paul, the gospel that he speaks of is not of a leader, but the leader, the perfect leader, the perfect ruler and the perfect kingdom. See, the gospel is all about Jesus, that he is the true Lord. And that's what Paul is writing into the lives of these people that are receiving this letter. That's why Paul's in prison. Paul's not in prison because he's saying there's a God who wants to make sure that you uh, get a really good, nice mansion in heaven when you die. And, and you've just got to say that, that uh, follow him and, 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 and do what you can to make sure you get there. That's not going to end up with Paul in prison. But to a, a, an environment that says Caesar is Lord, when he starts to say, no, no, Jesus is Lord. When gospel means the rule and reign of Caesar's coming and he says, actually, the gospel means there's a rule and reign of a better king and he's coming and his kingdom has come suddenly that starts to ruffle the feathers of the powers that be. That's why Paul is in prison, because he's upset those powers by declaring the true gospel and declaring the announcement of the true king and his kingdom has now come. So the gospel that Paul is announcing, we see those core ingredients in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 8. Uh, hopefully it will come up on your screen. It's uh, Paul summarizes the most basic ingredients of the gospel. He says, now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preach to you, that you received and on which you stand. Jump down to verse 3. It says, for I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received. Here we go. This is, this is the main thing. First importance is this, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and he rose, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. See, the gospel is all about Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That the true king and his kingdom has broken into the here and now through his death, his burial and his resurrection. That's the gospel that Paul says. These are the ingredients, the core ingredients of the gospel. First importance. This is the good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they're called the gospels because they tell the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. That's the Greek word of gospel is uengilion. It means good news. The good news is that Jesus has died. It doesn't sound like good news that somebody would be put to death. But the reason it's good news is because he died to all of our sin, all of our error, all of our wrong that keeps a distance from our loving Heavenly Father has now been dealt with. You see, for God, sin is a big deal. We can diminish it in our life and say, it's not that big a deal. It's right. Just brush it under the carpet. But for God, it has to be dealt with for him to be close and for us to be all he's created us to be. 
It keeps us from being in relationship for him. Sin is a big enough deal for him to step in and make a way and solve the problem. And that's what so many on this uh, this live stream right now, we believe that God has done that through Jesus dying on that cross. All of our sin, past, present and future has been placed on him. And he became the final and perfect sacrifice that he who knew no sin became sin so we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. His death is the gospel. It's good news that sin has been dealt with. His burial, his death, his burial. You see, his burial says there's no doubt that he died. This was not the case of burying somebody alive. Romans knew how to do executions and there is no way any good Jewish man would ever bury somebody alive. See, his burial speaks of his death because if he didn't die, there's no gospel. The fact that he was buried confirms that he died. That's that sin has been dealt with on the cross, that it's, it's done and dusted. But the burial says that he's, he's fully, finally buried it in the ground. It's been taken. But death isn't where it ends. The gospel doesn't end with death. If, if, if death says that our sin has been taken and the burial says that it's been dealt with, the resurrection says that our sin has been defeated, that he rose again on the third day. Of that, there's no doubt because he appeared to Cephas and then the 12 and then hundreds of people. See, the resurrection proves that Jesus was who he said he was. His resurrection, he has conquered death, defeated Satan for us. So death is not the end for those of us that follow Jesus and put our trust in him. So when let's go back to Philippians, uh, I could I could keep going, but let's get back to Philippians. Philippians 127, when he says as citizens of heaven, remember, this is the main thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. He's not saying just make sure you get to heaven because that's where your home is. You're citizens of heaven. Just make sure you keep your head down, scrape through this earth by the skinnier teeth, making sure you get to heaven. That's how we need to live. That is not what Paul is saying. For Jesus, the, the, his resurrection is of all importance. That for those that acknowledge our need for him, we know that he will return. We remember this time of year that he came as a baby, but he will return as a conquering king, redeeming all things that he has made all things, he will make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth, new in as much as they will be as they were originally intended, where humanity and God will dwell together fully and we will be resurrected. Bodily resurrection is what we as followers of Jesus believe in, not just that we, we our, our spirit goes to be with God when we die, but actually there will be a new heavens and a new earth. We will have a new resurrected body. For Paul, being a citizen of heaven doesn't mean just living to make sure we make it there. It is making here right now a place where God's domain can come right here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Paul is saying. As citizens of heaven live now, making this a space now like heaven, living now with Jesus as king. For Paul in his prison cell, for that church in Philippi, for us in Stratford-upon-Avon, living now as citizens of heaven. That means we're citizens of where Jesus is king, where his kingdom is. But living with that now, not holding on until we make it to heaven. Not, I'm a Christian, get me out of here. But making this a place where heaven can and one day will come fully. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, this is something that the church in Philippi would have understood. We may miss it a little bit now, but Philippi had been made a Roman colony. It meant that the same rules and rights that governed and protected Roman people in Rome now apply to those Roman citizens living in Philippi, which was in Greece. The ruler of Rome was their ruler. They might have been some nearly 2000 kilometers away from Rome by road, but still they were citizens of Rome. They could live in Philippi and make that place a little bit more like Rome. 
They were now citizens of Rome, living in Philippi. Not that they could leave Philippi and move back to Rome and enjoy Rome, but that Rome could come to them and be where they were and make it more like home. This is what Paul is saying as citizens of heaven. Not waiting until we're called home, but living now here to make this more like home. So that one day it will fully come on earth as it is in heaven. Suddenly when we start to see the significance of the gospel, Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, that he is the king and all other kings fall short, that his kingdom is come and it will one day fully come and we get to live as citizens right now of that kingdom, ushering it in right now. When we keep the main thing the main thing, we start to see how that can impact our work, our family, our friends, our passions, our purposes. When the gospel is the main thing, it changes everything. We start to seek ways to bring God's rule and reign into this place right now even though we feel so far away from home, into the lives of those people around us as we pray for them, as we we get to do what only we can do as followers of Jesus, which is bring the gospel into the here and now, into our workplaces, whether you enjoy your job or not, can I just say with all respect, it doesn't matter. It's not the main thing. The gospel is the main thing. And we get to live in that space, declaring the gospel by how we live, by what we share, by what we are doing with God's kingdom, with Jesus as king right now in all of our lives. The gospel is the main thing. Located here, living under the rule and reign of King Jesus and the rule of heaven and the reign of heaven's king can be with us right now, no matter where we are, even if we feel some 2,000 kilometres away from home. As citizens of heaven live lives worthy of the gospel. I'm spending a bit of time on that because I think it's probably one of the most significant verses in the whole of scripture. And what Paul will now do is practically uh, unpack a little bit of how we do that. How do we keep the gospel the main thing? How do we live lives worthy of the gospel? How do we live as citizens of heaven here on earth right now? Three ways that I'm going to fly through really, really quickly. And the first is this, standing firm, standing firm. Paul says, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit. What are you standing on? What convictions do you hold to? Do they hold you through your all of life? Are they there as a rock to stand upon? As followers of Jesus, what does it mean for you to stand on him and to trust him? The word standing firm, it's it's one word in the original Greek and it's a military word. It conveys the notion of unflinching courage and steadfastness. As if we're all soldiers lined up, refusing, refusing to give an inch of ground to the enemy. Standing firm in who we are, in who God is, who he's calling us to be and not giving a little inch of ground to the enemy. And it's not just a case of holding to those convictions when it matters most, but in every moment, standing firm to our convictions about who God is, his character, who he's calling us to be in all of life, in every moment. It's about standing firm when things are going for us and we get noticed, but also standing firm when life is tough and we go unnoticed or we get ignored. Paul says in this verse, he says, whether I come and see you or I don't get to see you, I will hear that you're standing firm. Oh, how easy it is to be one person when we're seen and another person when we're unseen. To be one person in public and another person in private. How easy it can be to to put on that persona in the public space and say, I've got it all together. I'm gracious, I'm loving, I'm humble. Isn't that person just amazing? God just is using that person through their carriage. It's unbelievable. But when we're in private, when we're not seen except by those closest to us or when nobody's looking at all, what do those moments say about what we're standing on? 
What do those moments say about our convictions as followers of Jesus? Paul is saying consistency in both, standing firm in who we are and who we're called to be, whether we get noticed or not, whether we are seen or not, in the private me, the public me, the Sunday me, the weekday me, the workplace me, the home life me, the university me, whilst I'm away from mum and dad and they can't see me, and the Christmas me that comes back and is with my mum and dad. Is there a consistency in the way we're seen close up and far away? Paul says if we're going to live a life on purpose, if we are going to live keeping the main thing the main thing, living lives worthy of the gospel, then it needs to be a whole life that is standing firm, not fractured, being one person in one setting and another person in another. Standing firm in who God is calling us to be, which is to live, love and look like Jesus, to display him off and show him off to the world. Standing firm. Second is this. Paul says, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit. And then I love how the ESV translates this next bit of verse 27. It says, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. If keeping the main thing, the main thing and living lives worthy of the gospel means standing firm. Secondly, it means striving together. This letter, along with so many others in the New Testament, they're written to communities. We might read them as individuals. Actually, right now, what we're doing is probably a lot more like it was where we read it together as, as one letter to a whole community. That's how they would have received it. They would have uh, read out what was written to them. The idea of following Jesus was a community project, living life in community, different ages, different races, different giftings. This is how the church was birthed and this is how the church is meant to function. Life in community, reflecting the love of the father to all through our love for each other. As the church, we're called to this together, striving to show off Jesus to the world around us. See, that word striving together, it's, it's not a sit back and just let it happen kind of word. It's not about expecting everything else and everyone else to fit in with our wants and our needs. Paul is saying striving side by side, alongside each other. The word striving, it's linked with the word athletics. It's the Greek word synethlio. And that, that word, you can hear the word ethlio in there. It's where we get the word athlete from. It has the idea of, of, uh, of exerting effort and discipline and endurance that it takes an athlete to succeed. So now I like running, uh, but I watch proper runners and I realise how much of a runner I am not. Like the Mo Farahs and the Eli Kip Kipchoge's, those kind of guys who, who are real runners. I look at them and then I look at me. I'm like, their frame is nothing like my frame. They don't roll out of bed and have all the gear and no idea and just hope for the best. They have a goal, whether it's Olympic goal or a sub two hour marathon, whatever it is, they have a focus and they strive for that goal. But it takes deliberate effort and discipline and endurance to reach that goal. It's like any relationship in life. The church is like anything in life. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just work because we all hope it will. We all wish it to, or we just think it'll happen because God's in control. It takes effort at being the church. And God calls us to be the church. By our love for one another, we get to show off who God is. We have to work at it. Church, during this season, I know how tempting it is and how much of a struggle it is to be the church. And I want to thank you for setting aside personal struggles. For some of you, being online right now is a struggle. Don't, I said that earlier on in the service, don't think just because we're leading this service that we find it really, really easy. I have to take a deep breath at the start of every single Zoom call. I struggle with them. I do not enjoy it. This is not our preference, but it is what's possible. And I want to say this is almost like a, a mass fasting season for the church. That we're going through something where God is, is refining and sharpening his church and, 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 and causing us to look more and more like him. I'm going to talk about it in a few moments. 
but it's, it's like a mass fasting, but without the option of having a full fridge behind us. So often when I fasted, it's not that much of a struggle because I'm like, oh God, you, are you saying I can legitimately have a cracker now? That's good. Thank you, Jesus. Because I know I've got food in my fridge. I've got stuff in the cupboards. But when you haven't got those things to fall back on, suddenly we realize how difficult it is. And God is doing something. I want to encourage you. You may be finding this season really, really difficult, but God is doing something in and through. I'm going to speak into that in a few moments. But keep striving together. Keep being the church. I want to thank you for getting online when it is the last thing you want to do, because you've kept me going during this season to know there's other people right now worshipping and gathering around God's word that are investing in each other just by going, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it because we get to worship Jesus together. When you've picked up the phone, when you've text, when you've gone on connect groups and it's been the last thing you want to do. Thank you. We're all having those same feelings but we press through like an athlete. We're, we're, we're enduring to see the goal, to keep the main thing, the main thing, to help each other during this season, not give up and to keep striving together. That's how we keep the main thing, the main thing. We live lives worthy of the gospel, standing firm in every season of life, no matter what we go through. Secondly, we're striving together. However hard it is, we strive together. And thirdly, I'm going to end with this. And this isn't one way I'm going to build a mega church. It's a good job we're not seeking to here at OCC. But uh, this last point, uh, I hope I communicate it well. To keep the main thing, the main thing, live lives worthy of the gospel, we have to suffer faithfully. It's about suffering faithfully. Paul writes in verse 28, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of their destruction for them, but of your salvation. And it is from God. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. I can only say this as bluntly as Paul does. Suffering is as much God's gracious gift into your life as your salvation is so easy to think of salvation as this incredible gift because it is but Paul here speaks of suffering exactly the same way look at verse 29 again it says but it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf that you not only believe in him but also suffer for him that that phrase it has been granted it's one word in the original language and it's where we get the word grace from but it's it's the verb it's the doing bit of that it's the active bit of that so it's about actively showing kindness actively being gracious towards someone that's the word that paul uses in this when he talks not only about salvation for it's been granted it's god's gracious gift to you on christ's behalf not only that you believe in him not only for your salvation but also that you suffer for him see the idea of god's gracious gift is not only about believing in him but also for suffering for him you're like what it's God's gracious gift that I would suffer. I don't know about you, but when I've received gifts in the past, even if it's something that I don't really want and it goes in the drawer to be passed on to somebody else, the very fact that I've received that gift, it's a nice experience. But suffering, a gift, a gift of God's grace. See, suffering for Paul is not portrayed as God's divine punishment for all your failures. You've got it wrong, so you're going to have to suffer for a bit. It's not discipline designed to show you just how bad you are and how much you need to improve. It's not that God wasn't listening to your prayers for protection because he was preoccupied in some other way or that he wanted to stop it, but for some reason he just couldn't. Paul says that our suffering is a privilege. It's a gift, an expression of unreserved kindness as we suffer for standing up for what's right in our workplace, as we end up at the bottom of the pile for not going along with our unbelieving mates, as we lose what we might love the most because we refuse to compromise on the love of Jesus when it would be easy to retaliate, but we don't. Paul says it's a gift. 
Paul's point is not that we know we're blessed by God because somehow we get to escape suffering because we escape persecution and tribulation. I see nowhere in scripture that affirms that we the church get to escape these things at any point. And I'm not saying that we just need to get out of it. I'm also not saying that we need to tell ourselves that the suffering isn't real. Just deny it like it doesn't matter. It does matter. Jesus wept. It's real. It hurts. We're not just to deny the suffering. And it's not that God takes pleasure in pain. It's not that God pretends that evil is good. But Paul is clearly saying here that it is a gift of God's grace. And for that, we should give thanks. There's one commentator that says of these verses a lot more succinctly and better than I could. So I'm just going to quote him. He says, God wants us to give thanks, not because of what suffering is, but because of what suffering does. Not because of what afflictions are, but by God's grace, what we become as a result of them. God graciously grants suffering, not because he takes sadistic glee in seeing his children hurt, but because he knows that it not only brings them into greater conformity to Jesus, but also and primarily because it's the most effective way of magnifying and glorifying him. Church suffering is not easy. And I know so many in our church, I've journeyed with you through things, some unimaginable things. The last few months for many of us have been unbearable in so many ways. We cannot deny that has happened. We cannot pretend that it's all okay when it's not. Pain is real. It has happened. But if we look closely at verse 29, Paul declares that suffering is for him. It's been granted to you that you may suffer for him, for Jesus. How is that true? That when we suffer, it gives glory to him. What benefit can my suffering be to the name and fame of Jesus? Church, we need to understand that all of our sufferings, whatever you're going through right now, the trials, our discomfort, all the pain, whether it is emotional, physical, mental, financial, it's used by God to magnify and show off the beauty of his all sufficient grace that he is with us in and through it, that he is shaping us and molding us to be more and more like him. See, something can happen through suffering that could never happen outside of it. Suffering, yes, we all know what that's like faithfully, because we know that in and through it, God will be seen for who he is and what he can do as he molds us and shapes us through that, that refining fire. Church, I'm ending here. I've spoken far too long. Let me end with this. Um, uh, amazing story of, of a woman called Rosia Champagne Butterfield. Rosia was, in her own words, a uh, lesbian, feminist, radical professor of English literature. That's how she described herself. And she found Jesus. And in her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, an English Professor's Journey into the Christian Faith, she tells how her newfound faith in Jesus resulted in unimaginable persecution from her friends who thought they were she was turning her back on them and, uh, and how they were living. And, and she, she just got the brunt of, of her family and her colleagues, just all causing unimaginable suffering for her. In her book, she talks about an encounter with one of those that was bringing suffering into her life. One of her friends, who they themselves was suffering as they were dying of cancer. And Rosia tells of this moment in her book, she says this. She approached me one day, this is the friend with cancer who had been causing so much pain into her life. She approached me one day and said, I didn't give a damn about who your God was in your happiness. But now that you're suffering, I want to know who is your God? Where is he in your suffering? God using that 
to lead somebody who is out and out against God to start a journey closer through suffering, through using that which we want to get rid of. God wants to work in and through it. Church, as I finish right now, I want to ask as citizens of heaven living a long way from home, why don't we live to see on earth as it is in heaven? And as we stand firm in all of life, in who we are and who God's calling us to be, striving together with the determination to keep the main thing the main thing and suffering faithfully so that God's grace may be seen as he shapes and molds us to live, love and look like him to everyone around us in the reality of life. Alan, will you lead us in a song and just let God minister it into each person's life right now, even using this online platform, God's spirit can move into your life through what Paul has written and through what the spirit wants to do right now. Thanks, Alan.
I'm sure you, you know. I know the number of you in the in the chat there have mentioned in, in regards to John's message there. And great, uh, just great message, a reminder of the gospel and the call that's on our lives, and and that encouragement really to stand stand firm, stand firm together. Uh, I think there's a sense of striving together, contending together for the faith, and then this suffering together. I think even in that is this we we don't do this journey alone. And and John, that's been really really helpful this morning. So thank you. Um, going to close the service in a moment. I'm just going to pray God's blessing upon you. I hope you have a fantastic week, whatever it is that you're going to be doing, whether it's working or uh, engaging community activities, whatever it is that you find yourself doing, may, may you live out though the reality of the, of the call to be a citizen of the king uh, and his kingdom, wherever we find ourselves this week. But Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. Uh, Lord, we thank you for that reminder actually the only reason we can do any of this is because of your 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 astonishing grace that is lavished upon us and enables us to stand firm in you to journey together and 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 to suffer together and so with this week would you help us to be the kind of people that you've designed us to be would you help us to live out the kingdom reality in the face of of much challenge um, in our day and so, Lord, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace this week. In Jesus' name, amen.